Welcome to Time Traveling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Paddy. And I'm Trisha. This week we join the Doctor and Romana for the first story of Season 18, The Leisure Hut. As usual, we'll be discussing the Doctor, the companions, and the villains, and giving our thoughts on the story as a whole. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on this story, so in order to join the discussion, you can check us out at Time Team, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can email us at timetravelingteam at teamproductions.com. But I suppose first and foremost, as is usual with any given season, I will give the story recap. As you do. Part 1. On a windy day on Brighton Beach, the Doctor was sleeping in a deck chair whilst K-9 catalogues an A to Z list of other activities they could be doing in the galaxy. Romana expresses her distaste for the less than favourable conditions and K-9 suggests that she go for a swim. She tells him that he should go instead and hurls a beach ball away in frustration. The dutiful robotic dog goes to retrieve it from the ocean and suffers extensive explosive damage after he comes in contact with the water. A horrified Romana retrieves him from the water and brings him to the doctor, who she blames for not giving him adequate defences against seawater, as well as bringing them to the wrong year and season for their intended beach trip. The doctor expresses his annoyance at having missed their intended target due to the randomizer he installed to avoid the Black Guardian, and says that he can't spend the rest of his life running from him. Romana expresses her doubt that the Guardian would follow them to the miserable weather of Brighton, and suggests that they would instead go to the leisure times of Argolis. She starts to give the Doctor the history of the planet and what its leisure hive currently offers, but he falls asleep again. On Argolis, a guide named Vargas is giving a tour of the complex to a group of visitors, and he explains that the atmosphere outside of the leisure hive is deadly toxic. He is then called to the boardroom and tells the visitors he will be back shortly. He joins another group of Argolans, all of whom have green blonde beehive-style hairdos and similar coloured skin, as they are on a conference call with one of their human investors. The investor, a man named Brock, says that the leisure hive is on the verge of bankruptcy due to the more up-to-date attractions offered by other leisure planets. One of the Argolans, Pangol, expresses his distaste for the uncivilised nature of these other attractions, but Brock says that they are cheaper and more entertaining than the science-based ones offered on Argolis. Pangol turns off the call, and his father, Morix, says that he must curb his temper, reminding him of what the aggressive nature of Argolans can lead to. Several hours later, Brock arrives in person with another human and is brought to see Morix and Pangol. He expresses happiness at finally meeting them in person, but is concerned by Morix's pained expression. Pangol says that Morix is in the process of dying, and his decrepit appearance is what happens when Argolans are near death. Brock introduces the other man as Clout, his lawyer, and says that he has come to accept Morix's offer of directorship of the Leisure Hive. He says that he is an investment group that wishes to buy the Argolans out of their stake in the Leisure Hive, but Pangol and Morix object, saying that it is too dangerous to leave the Hive. Pangol is then in some way to give a demonstration of the attractions on offer, all of which are achieved through their scientific breakthroughs in the field of tachyonics. The TARDIS arrives in the middle of the demonstration, and they watch as Pangol enters a room called the Recreation Chamber and gives a demonstration via view screen of his head floating away from his body. Back in Morix's office, Brock tells him that the investors he represents are a group of Fomasi, the ancient enemies of the Argolans, whose war against each other led to Argolis' current irradiated state. Morix says that the war has embittered the surviving Argolans, and the idea of selling the planet to the Fomasi is detestable. He says that the only reason the Fomasi want the planet is because they are highly resistant to radioactivity due to their reptilian nature. He refuses to sell, but suddenly suffers a series of spasms before falling onto the table. Vargas enters and says that he has died, and they watch as his skin goes slate grey. Meanwhile, two Fomasi secretly arrive at the hive and cut their way in through an external wall, which they then reseal to avoid arousing suspicion. 
A short while later, a shuttle arrives from Earth carrying Mina, Morgus's wife. Brock expresses his sympathies to her, but she coldly tells him that she is now chairman of the Leisure Hive due to being next in line with seniority. Vargas asks about the scientist named Harden that was meant to be with her, and Mina says that he would be arriving on the next shuttle. She reveals that Harden has discovered a better use for their tachyonic research, a fact that Vargas says will displease Pango. Brock asks about the better use, and Mina reveals that Harden has discovered how to manipulate time. Back in the demonstration room, Pangol has finished giving an explanation to the assembled visitors who have just watched him completely separate his body and move to pieces independently. One of the visitors expresses doubt that what they watched was actually real, and Pangol invites him to try it and he goes into the recreation chamber. The demonstration starts off normally, but the visitor suddenly screams in pain as his arms come away from his body. The doctor rushes inside the generator and calls for help, saying that the man is injured. Pangol asks who he is, and when he replies that he is a doctor, Pangol assumes him to be Harden. He then tells Romana that his mother wants to meet the doctor, and a guide arrives to take the two Time Lords to meet Mina. In the boardroom, Mina shows Brock and Clout a video of Harden using tachyonics to de-age an elderly woman. The doctor and Romana are shown in, and Mina says that he isn't Harden. She asks them who they are, saying that all visitors are given security passes, but she's interrupted by a message saying that the injured visitor has died from his wounds. The doctor and Romana slip away as she gives instructions as to what to do, and she orders them to be found, believing them to be industrial saboteurs. As they make their way back to the TARDIS, Roman asks the Doctor if he noticed Pangol's demonstration as being fake, and he says that he did. They then make their way through an anti-gravity squash court, one of the activities Pangol showed the assembled visitors, and the Doctor says that the players on the court are also fake. They arrive back in the demonstration area, and the Doctor goes inside the recreation generator to get a closer look. Roman tries to tell him to come out, and as a result fails to notice one of the Fomasi sabotage the controls. She then looks on the view screen as the Doctor screams whilst his body is pulled apart. Part 2. Pangol and Brock arrive and Romana tells them what happened to the Doctor. Pangol rushes to the control but says that they are jammed and that he can't switch off the power. Romana says that there must be something that he can do and they are all surprised when the Doctor appears near the TARDIS, offering a suggestion. Pangol asks how he got out and he explains that he cut a hole through the rear of the generator with a sonic screwdriver. He starts to explain the residual image of his floating head now smiling to Pangol, but he and Romana are accosted by Brock and the newly arrived Clout, who lead them out of the demonstration room. Meanwhile, Harden arrives at the leisure hive and is brought to Mina's office, who expresses joy at his arrival. However, she says that due to her new position, their friendship must be a more formal one. She then shows him security footage of the Doctor, and Harden says he will question him about his knowledge of tachyons. Mina expresses confusion at this, saying that she thought Harden had accounted for all possible dangers in his experiments, but she replies that he might be best to double-check the things. Their conversation is interrupted when the Doctor and Romana are brought in. Mina asks them about their knowledge of tachyonics, and Romana informs her that it is an outdated scientist. Sorry. Mina asks them about their knowledge of tachyonics, and Romana informs her that it is an outdated science by Gallifreyan standards. Mina asks them to take a look at Harden's work saying that their conduct could help her overlook their criminal trespass into the leisure hive. The doctor agrees and says that their first task would be to rerun Harden's experiments. Before they do, though, Mina gives them a tour of the leisure hive and explains that it, it isn't just a sanctuary against the harsh radioactive atmosphere. She says it is also a cultural education hub where all alien races are welcome to learn about each other in the effort to prevent the same type of war that our goal has suffered. She starts to show them one of the holographic simulation attractions, but it suddenly goes blank. Mina says that this is the latest in a series of recent falls that the Leisure Hive has suffered. 
The doctor asks if she suspects foul play, and she says that it can't be a system's fault, as the equipment is capable of going nearly 2,000 years without breaking down. Romana says that that would be easier for future generations to handle, but Mina sadly says that the war rendered the remaining Argol and sterile. She suddenly suffers a fit, similar to the one that Morix had, and she says it is happening to her sooner than expected. Elsewhere, Brock and Harden talk about the benefits of his work and what it could do for their customer base. Harden says that he still has work to do, and after they leave, his assistant, Stimson, tells him to keep his cool. Harden berates Stimson for making him lie about the success of his work, but Stimson, who is secretly his financier, tells him to follow his orders. Harden then says the doctor's help may be able to get the experiment working correctly, but Stimson points out that he will be found out if the doctor does succeed. Harden says that he will find a way to keep the doctor out, and they are suddenly interrupted by the arrival of Mina and the others. Harden tells the doctor to stay back, saying that there's a danger of radiation. The doctor agrees and leaves, but gives Romana a secret instruction before he goes, followed by an ailing Mina who wishes him well. Romana goes to join Harden and offers to help him, but after seeing Stimson leave, he reveals that his experiment didn't work. Stimson, knowing that Harden will break, makes his way down to Brock's quarters, but finds them empty. He searches the room and finds Clout in the closet, but notices that he is actually a latex dummy. He quickly flees down the corridor, not realising that he dropped his glasses as he does so. Unbeknownst to him, he is being followed by one of the Fomasi, who crushes his glasses underfoot. He arrives at the demonstration room, where he is killed by the Fomasi. Later, the Doctor is going through the computer interface for signs of sabotage, and he is confronted by Brock, who brings him to the demonstration room, where he sees Stimson's dead body with his scarf wrapped around the corpse's neck. Brock brings the Doctor to Mina's quarters, where he is confronted by her and Pangol. Before his trial commences, she asks him to swear to his innocence on a sacred relic, the war helmet of Theron, the Argolan who led them into the war. The doctor swears that he is innocent, and, that, and the trial begins. Back in Harden's lab, progress is made with Romana's help, and they are able to stop time in a localised field containing an hourglass, but still can't reverse it. Romana then wonders where the doctor is before going back to the experiment. After several more tries, they succeed in managing to reverse time in the localised field. They go to find the doctor, but leave the experiment running, which unfortunately explodes, leaving the hourglass glowing green. Back in Mina's office, the doctor refutes the evidence given by Brock, and Pangol calls for the ancient trial of fire and water. However, before Mina can make any decision, Romana and Harden arrive to inform them of their successful experiment. As an enthusiastic Mina says that she will be the first person to undergo the rejuvenation process, but Harden says that it needs to be tested first, and Pangol suggests using the doctor. Romana assures the doctor that the most he will be regressed is a couple of years, and the doctor agrees to undertake the trial. Romana goes back to Harden's lab to get the final results and notices the glowing hourglass, which is slowly decaying. She rushes back to the demonstration room and tells Harden to stop the test, but he says that it is too late. Suddenly the test ends and the doctor emerges from the recreation chamber, aged to a wizened, bearded old man. Part 3 Harden asks if the doctor is alright, and he says that it felt like he was in the experiment for centuries. He catches sight of his reflection and is shocked by his appearance. Mina says that he should be taken to rest, but Pangol insists that both he and Romana be kept under guard, as they have not yet proven their innocence. They are taken away, and Mina asks Harden to help her back to her office. She asks him what happened to the experiment, and sadly says that it was the last chance to save the Argolans. She accidentally mentions a previous experiment that they had tried, but says it is not something that they share with outsiders. Harden says that he will keep trying, but Mina asks him to send for her aides. 
A short while later, Pangol also arrives and insists that Harden stop using the Leisure Hive's power for his experiments, which he openly calls fraudulent. Shakmin asks if this is true, and Harden says that they were initially false, but with Romana's help, he made real progress with the experiments. He begs for one more chance, and for Romana to be allowed to help. Pangol voices his distrust of this, and Mina tells Harden to work by himself. Elsewhere, the Doctor and Romana are fitted with shock collars by Vargas, who explains that they will activate if either of the Time Lords try to remove them, or they enter an area that is forbidden to them. Once they are alone, the Doctor says that he will have to find a way to reverse his ageing. He then suddenly points out that Pangol appears to be the youngest of the Argolan, but everyone else is much older. He then asks Romana if she noticed anything unusual in the testing generator in the demonstration room. She is saying that she saw a secondary circuit that must be serving an alternate function. They agree that they need to find out what it is doing. In her office, Mina tells Pangol that when he takes over the leisure hive, that he will need to become more moderate in his views. He points out that moderation is sometimes a weakness, but they are interrupted by the arrival of Brock and Klaus. Brock says that the visitors have been leaving in droves due to the recent deaths and says that the value of the leisure hive is dropping in accordance. Pangol suggests having a public execution of the Doctor to stem any worries about their ability to control the hive, but Brock suggests something different. Later, Harden removes the shock collars from the Doctor and Romana and tells him that Brock would like them to look at the recreation generator. He expresses a disdain at the fact that, for all of Pangol's espousement, the Argolans have failed to make any real use of the generator for their tachyonic research. The Doctor then says that the recreation generator is little more than a cabinet of illusions, but then realises that it has been repurposed. He says that the name is actually Recreation Generator, and he believes that the Argolans were using it to try and restart their civilization. Back in Mina's office, Brock says that they should accept the Fomasi's offer, but Mina says that she would rather all the Argolans die by opening the leisure hive to the ravages of the radioactive atmosphere than hand it over to their ancient enemies. Pangol examines the offer deed and notices that it is not from the Fomasi government. Brock says it is from a group of private investors called the West Lodge, but Mina says that there is no such organisations that exist within the Fomasi society. Pangor angrily says that it is a ruse by the Fomasi government to try and give the Argolans restitution money, but he says that nothing can make up for the genocide that was visited upon the Argolans. Brock says that the West Lodge is a real group and can offer the money needed to keep the leisure hive going. Pangor says that he doesn't need money as he has manpower, but Brock reminds him that his race is sterile and dying. Pangol points out that the war ended 40 years ago before asking Brock how old he thinks he is. Mina tells him to stay quiet, but Pangol defiantly reveals that he is a child born from the recreation generator. In the demonstration room, the Doctor and Romana and Harden watches Vargas and his few aides work on the generator. Romana says that she has to be the one to investigate it, as another aging surge could kill Harden or force the Doctor to regenerate. She tells him to make a distraction to give her a chance to get inside the generator. A few moments later, Harden summons Vargas and his aides over to the TARDIS, where the Doctor is drawing an equation on the time machine's doors. Vargas collapses after reading the equation, and whilst his aide tend to him, Romana sneaks inside the generator. Back in Mina's office, Pangol explains that he was the only surviving child from the generator, which was loaded with samples of DNA from the remaining Argolans. Due to the mutations and other distorted clones that came out, the process was stopped, but Pangol intends to restart it due to his breakthroughs in tachyonics. He then pulls up an image of the generator, but is shocked to see Vargas and the others missing, and the Doctor roaming free. He sounds an alarm and rushes to the demonstration room. The Doctor hides in a nearby storage closet as they arrive, and Pangol, thinking that he is inside the generator, increases the power on the machine in order to age him 2,000 years.
The doctor makes his way back to Harden's lab where he rests due to his age. Suddenly, Romana appears with a Fomasi, who she says got her out of the generator before Pangold activated it. The Fomasi approaches the doctor and tries to communicate with him, but the doctor is unable to understand his reptilian dialect. Harden arrives and Romana then shows him all the module that she found in the inner workings of the generator. The Fomasi tries to continue and relay its message and eventually brings the doctor to a view screen and brings up an image of Mina's office, where Pangol has returned to. The Fomasi indicates to the image and the doctor realises that there is someone there that he wants to talk to. The doctor then leads them all to Mina's office. In the office, Mina is dying but Pangol says that with her death, his new Argolis will rise. The doctor and the others arrive and Pangol orders them to be arrested. However, the doctor says that he has something to show them and Brock recalls in horror as the Fomasi and its counterpart approach him. One of them holds him as the other rips off his face, revealing it to be a mask with another Fomasi beneath it. Cloud is also revealed to be a Fomasi in disguise and both he and Brock have their clothes, which compress their bulky reptilian physiques, removed. One of the arresting Fomasi removes a cube from Brock's throat and places it into his own and he begins to speak, revealing it to be a voice box. He reveals it himself to be an agent of the Fomasi government and that Brock and Clout are the ones responsible for the recent sabotage and deaths within the Leisure Hive. He says that they impersonated the real Brock and Clout to gain access to the complex. He says that the West Lodge is actually a criminal organisation and that they have been looking for a new legitimate business front for their illegal operations, which have been hampered by the government clampdowns on the Fomasi homeworld. The two criminals make a break for it, but the agent throws a grenade that envelops them in tick webbing. He says that he will return them to their homeworld for trial, but after they leave, Pangol says that they cannot be allowed to go, claiming that they are all spies for the Fomasi government. Mina tries to overrule him, but she faints as she enters the final hours of her life, and Pangol takes advantage of her weakness and goes after them. He catches up to them in the corridor and says that they cannot be permitted to leave, but the Fomasi agent says that any attempts to stop him could be construed as an act of war. Romana says that they had better do something, and they go back to Harden's lab. However, when they get there, they see the module they took from the recreation generator is gone, and Harlan says Pangol's men must have retrieved it. He warns them that if it was put back in the generator, then it could lead to more age- unstable aging surges. He says that if they had another module, then they could encounter the effects of the one in the generator, and the doctor, feeling the effects of his age, weakly suggests that they use the randomizer in the TARDIS. However, Romana says that it is too dangerous. She instead asks Harden how long it would take to build another module, and he suggests that they start immediately. However, neither of them notices the doctor who slips out of the room. Back in Mina's office, Pangol arrives and retrieves the war helmet of Theron, but a struggling Mina tells him that he will only lead Argolis to further ruin. He ignores her and says that he will instead be the army that leads Argolis into the new age. He then goes to the demonstration room and summons all the other Argolins to it, telling them that he is now in command. As he does this, the doctor carefully makes his way inside the TARDIS. Harden and Romana listen to his speech over the intercom, and Harden mourns the loss of Mina. Romana looks at the view screen and sees Mina struggling to make her way to a communication panel. Harden starts to leave, and Romana says that he will be caught, but he says that he has to try and save her. Romana asks the doctor for support, but then sees that he has gone. She flicks through the security feeds and sees him making his way towards the recreation generator. She sees that he has the randomizer, and she goes to stop him from putting it into the generator. She arrives as Pangol addresses the entire Argolan population before he goes into the generator. Vargas arrives and says that the Fomasi are demanding to leave, but Pangol says that they will be destroyed. Romana says that that would be an act of war, but Pangol ignores her and orders the shuttle to be destroyed as it goes into orbit. 
He then puts on the war helmet and goes inside the generator. Romana tells the others to stop him, but the all watches Pangol duplicates himself into dozens of times inside the chamber. He then emerges and orders Romana to be taken away when she says the doctor was inside it as well. Meanwhile, Harden arrives at Mina's office and sees that she is barely alive. He goes to summon help, but he then hears Pangol order her body to be retrieved and disposed of. He hides as he hears someone approaching and then watches as Vargas comes in to inspect the body. He knocks Vargas out and he picks up Mina, saying that her only hope is the generator. In the corridors, Romana is dragged away by a group of Pangol clones, but they suddenly stop. One of them removes its helmet to reveal the doctor beneath it, now back to his normal age. But just as Romana expresses relief, he vanishes into thin air. The others remove their helmets, revealing that they are all the Doctor, and they say that they are actually just tachyon images rather than clones, but they only have a short lifespan. They all blink out of existence, only the real Doctor remains. He changes back into his normal clothes, and then remembers about Mina, and they rush to her office. In the demonstration room, Pangol watches as his army disappears, and he angrily says that he will restart the process. Harden arrives with Mina, and Pangol orders him to be removed, saying that he must be the one to lead Argolis. Harden pushes past him, saying that the generator is Mina's only hope, but after he puts her inside, Pangol throws him out. However, the door closes as he tries to remove Mina. The Doctor and Romana arrive, and the Doctor says that he had set the system to rejuvenate on its next use. Harden says that the doors are locked, and he can't stop the generator. They watch on the display as Mina and Pangol seemingly merge together, and in a moment of desperation, the Doctor picks up Tyron's war helmet and throws it into the view screen destroying it and shorting out the system. The door then opens and a rejuvenated Mina emerges with a baby Pangol. She hands the baby over to the doctor as she says the first thing she must do is to contact the Fomasi government to try and avert a new war. Just then, the Fomasi agent arrives and says that the West Lodge criminals had hijacked the ship and took off without him and his partner and that they were the actually ones that died. Mina apologises and offers to continue the discussion in her office. Harden goes to follow and the doctor gives him the baby Pangol as he does so. The doctor tells Romana that they should leave and she tells him not to forget about the randomizer. However, he says that he has grown tired of not knowing where they are going and he doesn't care if the Black Guardian finds them or not. He then leads her back to the TARDIS saying that he misses K-9. End of the story. Well, I don't know about you, but the Leisure Hive doesn't actually sound that relaxing. <laughs> no. no. I will say one thing, right? Right. Looking ahead, right, we've got the Leisure Hive. We have Midnight. We have that one that Jody did, a forgotten orphan. Orphan 55. Whatever. Leisure or pleasure planets in Doctor Who. Hmm. Rice said they are not. <laughs> <laughs> also, I can I can I know that there's a leisure activity too, but I can't remember if it's a leisure world or if it's like aliens coming to visit Earth. But um Delta and the Bannerman, Sylvester's mm. story. Yeah, like no, like nothing in a, nothing based on holidays in Doctor Who is ever good. Ever. <laughs> At least midnight looked nice. Yes, yes. So the other two. Yeah. Not so much. <laughs> well, like midnight looks nice as so long as you like stay behind the protective glass. Yeah, but yeah. within the dome, yeah. it looks nice. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. irrelevant. Cool. So let's go to one place that we know that is relaxing, and that is the trivia spot. What have you got for us this week? Cool. So, uh, 
Air date, for some reason, I didn't bother writing down, so bear with me one second. I'm going to go through the really awkward faff of scrolling backwards. Talk amongst yourselves. Mm. Well, it's it's de- it's definitely the 80s anyway. I fucking know that. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, but no e- avoiding that, is there? <laughs> no, but even if, even if we didn't know like that, oh yeah, this is like... Even if we hadn't been tracking the years... Visually, yeah, there's no yeah. fucking avoiding that. Yeah, that, yeah, vi- yeah, visually, it's the fucking 80s. My god, yeah, okay. Uh, here we go. Shush, okay, onwards. Air date is the 30th of August to the 20th of September 1980. Very good. Shush, on to the main part. Writer is David Fisher. This is the final of four stories for David. His previous stories were The Stones of Blood, The Androids of Tara, and The Creature from the Pit. The director is Lovett Bickford, and this is his only directing credit for Doctor Who. This is the first serial produced by John Nathan Turner, and he went to make a number of changes. Mm. <laughs> uh, first one, the intro. Uh, the title sequence is no longer like this um, void kind of thing. Now it's like this, like, Super fucking eighties Starfield motif, with like the yeah. the do- like it's like the Doctor's head blends into the stars, and yeah. I showed Trish the <laughs> the the image of this uh, one day, and I said Tom's pained expression <laughs> seems like an indicator for the road ahead. Because yeah. one thing I'll say about that intro, right, is. After watching the first story, the different intro actually, for me, removes the mystery element of Doctor Who. Mm. The previous intros, the time, the, this man in the time vortex has mm. this strange eeriness and you know, like mystery science fiction nature to it. This just makes it come across like a space adventure. Yeah, and it, it's not just the visuals that have changed. Mm-hmm. So uh, Delia Derbyshire's arrangement of the Doctor Who theme, that's gone abandoned in favour of <laughs> a more dynamic, glossy, funky version that was done by Peter Howell and uses synthesizers. Now, it probably sounds quite similar to our intro that we use for this podcast, which uses synthesizers. <laughs> But ours isn't quite as eighties as yeah, like, as this. Like, our, our ours has a, like a, like it's definitely it's definitely got a, f- a feel to it, given the fact of who composed it and their own musical influences. <laughs> yeah, um, but like, whereas ours uses synthesizers, but still with the sort of dum, 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 like yeah. still like the, the same background. This is just like stars and eighties and. Oh my god, you cannot ignore that it's the 80s. Like, yeah. The fact that the show is aged before you even watch it. Mm. <laughs> um, another thing is Dudley Simpson. He has now done no more incidental music done by Dudley. It's now done by Radiophonic Workshop. Or at least for Leisure Hive with Radiophonic Workshop. And the Doctor has changed his outfit. So he has a new standard template look his coat and scarf are both now kind of like burgundy purple kind of color 
Um, and you, people will notice that he has question marks on his collar, which I didn't realize Tom had question marks. Yeah, no. um, I knew the, all the others did, but I didn't realize Tom did. So this is the start of the question mark motif mm-hmm. that basically runs through until Sylvester. Um, also, the TARDIS exterior prop has changed. Um, this time it's made of fiberglass instead of wood. Um, and it's somewhat truer to the design of a real police box, more so than the other versions were. From a narrative perspective, the creation of the Leisure Hive was quite unusual in that the script was commissioned by Jonathan Turner and not by the script editor. Usually the script editor commissioned scripts. But Christopher H. Bidmead, he wasn't hired yet. So John actually commissioned the script himself. We also have a new executive producer for this season is Barry Letts. Something I did not know before going to the trivia. Um, obviously, he previously been a producer during John's era and he did Tom's first story. He also um, contributed a lot writing. He contributed a lot directing. Um, and also, he played a significant part in shaping this story's outline. Hmm. And now that I've read it, I can kind of see the Barry in it. Yeah. There are bits that you're like, oh... Hi, Barry. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> yeah. Um, he's only going to be executive producer, though, for this one season. And this will be his final contribution to Doctor Who. So season 18 is the, the final contribution of Barry Letts. Mm-hmm. It's sad, because we like Barry. We do like Barry. Uh, the story had the working titles of the Argolans and also Avalon. The episode was written, and again, this is where I can kind of see Barry, um, as a satire of the decline of tourism in the UK in the 1970s. Um, David Fisher um, initially wanted to maintain some of the comedic elements that he had sort of developed under Graham Williams. So, you know, Stones of Blood, and there was certain comedic components to those. Um, and he kind of had the story in mind as like a bit of a pastiche of gangster movies. It's why the Fomasi are called what they are. It was meant to be like an anagram of mafiosa. Hmm. However, they kept stripping out more and more of the humor during the story's development, um, by which time the script editor had come on board. Um, thankfully, um, David Fisher had done some research into tachyonics um, by the new scientist so there was some science in there that he had already put into it like he did contribute that part mm-hmm. but apparently it was meant to be a lot more humorous and they just sort of start stripping all of that out yeah i remember sorry i remember reading something about like he's like john nathan turner said like oh i want to get away from like the like tacky humor and i'm like just looking at the end of this one and some of the other stuff that comes along in his run i'm like you didn't really do a very good job with that, no, did you? Yeah, I'm like, I do think the Douglas Adams, <clears throat> sorry, the Douglas Adams humor, I wasn't the biggest fan of, mm-hmm. um, and we discussed that at the time. Um, but like, humor has its place in Doctor Who in certain stories. Some stories, humor has absolutely zero fucking place whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, but humor does have its place. Yeah. And I kind of feel a bit bad for David that like he'd obviously gotten used to writing under Graham and then it was changing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
If you're a fan of BBC's The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, you may recognise the Fomasi costume, because it was reused for that, as the leader of the, I can't fucking pronounce the word, Gagovnut? Gagovnut? No. No. Think from Hitchhikers, I can't pronounce I, I would go. I would go with Gagovnut as well. Yeah, whatever. Um, the opening shot on Brighton Beach, that was Jonathan Turner's idea, because he lived nearby. Fair enough. And it took a day to film. I'll talk about more about that later on. <laughs> My thoughts on a day at the beach. Um, so, quick thing around uh, UK television at this time. So you had BBC, which is the state-funded broadcast network. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, if you're not from the UK or you're not familiar with UK television, you've probably seen like all those videos on YouTube where people like sort of compare, you know, programming around the world. And, you know, the BBC is one of those channels, at least now, I can't remember if it was back in the 80s, where there is no advertising. BBC, between programs, can only advertise BBC programs. They don't do advertisements for mm-hmm. cars, toys, any of that, because it's funded by the state, it's funded by your TV mm-hmm. licence. The UK does have commercial TV channels, though, that do run other things. And one of those commercial TV channels is ITV. Or, rather, was ITV. I don't think ITV is a thing anymore. You know what it is? They have... Really? Yeah, there's like ITV 1, 2, 3, and 4. Okay, okay. Right on. Um, so, ITV was sort of the commercial competitor to the BBC way back in the day. And... On the same day that the first episode of The Leisure Hive dropped, ITV, after a big high-profile promotional campaign, aired the American series Buck Rogers in the 25th Century. It was the first time that ITV had ever attempted to do a like competition with Doctor Who by scheduling something that would target the same audience, which is a science fiction fan audience. And the change in policy in 1980 was because, you know, there was a significant slump in ratings for early stories and in Doctor Who's uh, 17th season. Um, And so they were kind of like, okay, let's let's go. Let's go after that audience. And it worked. Um, The Leisure Hive had low numbers. And the figures dropped each week. By week three, Doctor Who was no longer in the top 100 programs of the week for the first time in its 18-year run. So ITV clearly was like, we're going to go for this sort of viewership share. Because bear in mind, at this time, it was, you watched you watched the episodes mm. on the day. It's all about the viewing, the live viewing figures. Um, and most people, if they had video recorders, didn't actually have the option of watching one channel and recording another. Yeah. Do you know, so to get the, the eyes on your channel at a key time was a big win for ITV. Mm-hmm. Going back to the Leisure Hive itself, though, production of the serial was extremely challenging. So we have made mention that Tom and Lala Ward had a romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. That romantic relationship started during season 17. And going into season 18, 
they had decided to end their romantic relationship. So Tom in particular, his mood was vastly <laughs> impacted by this. He was also feeling quite unwell because he'd just come back from Australia. Um, but so him and Lala had broken it off. Um, when shooting ended on season 17, he's now coming back from Australia. They're starting to be, and he wants to get back together with her. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't want to get back together with him. And at one point, they were refusing to speak to each other. <laughs> this is why you shouldn't date the people you work with. Particularly if you're the two main actors in a TV program. Mm-hmm. goes badly. Apparently, Tom's attitude was at least moderated by his cordial working relationship with John Nathan Turner. Um... Although apparently he didn't particularly like the changes that were being made by the new producer. Another thing that was a bit challenging in this shoot was the directing. So uh, Lovett Bickford's management of the shoot caused it to go over so bad, so badly over budget um, that John Nathan Turner was severely reprimanded by his superiors. It's like this is his first story that he's producing. They went massively over budget. And he got called in and was basically told, what the thundering hell. Um, and Bickford never worked on Doctor Who ever again. This is one story. He went massively over budget. No. And that's one thing that, like, again, I'm not intimately familiar with like how with the John Nathan Turner run on the show. Obviously, I've seen a couple of future episodes. Um, but my understanding is that he was a bit of a penny pincher. In the sense that, like, you know try and get it done he was like as, like he wanted to push the boat but only so far as his budget would allow like see he's a, he's an interesting character and i'm pretty sure we'll probably talk more about it but from the book that you gave me uh space summit for a cow volume one uh which details the classic era john nathan turner is a very oh He's not a Marmite character. Well, maybe he is. Like he's like a Marmite figure within the lore of Doctor Who because he he changed it because he felt like the show was like you know he felt it was like outdated and kind of tacky, mm. and he wanted to go after like the American market, mm. maybe and not realizing that he was changing the show into something that kind of did become a bit tacky. Mm. Um, because he was like also he was like he was another big he was a huge panto head. And as we'll go on, like we'll see that there's elements of pantomime in the stuff that he wanted done. Also, he kind of wanted to make the show synonymous with his name. So, like it's mm. whenever you mention Doctor Who, you've got to mention John Nathan Turner. The mm. the same way like that, you know, other people have become synonymous through either by intent or just by their. Mm. Attachment to the show, which we will discuss going down the line, um, and it was like this thing of where like he tried to conquer America, and he tried to kind of get you know expand the focus. But whenever it was the expansion, he was always at the forefront, and he had to be seen there. Like so, like imagine like you know the Comic Con panel and that type of thing. Mm. First person out would be him, not mm. the Doctor, or mm. any sort of media trips. It was always he'd be the first one there type thing so like to give our listening audience like i suppose brace yourselves because he's going to be a bit of a marmite figure as we as we go on yeah 
Um, like I said, this is David Fisher's final contribution to the series. And apparently prior to this was due to the fact that he was unhappy over the efforts of Jonathan Turner, Christopher Bidmead, and Lubbock Bickford to cut a significant amount of the material that he'd written, which they deemed to be superfluous in order to augment the pace of each episode. And consequently, all four installments were actually very short and they've mm. got very lengthy reprises. I noticed that and I was wondering, like, because I have an older copy and I was mm. like, I don't think I'm missing anything here. At least, no, at least I don't no, think it, I'm missing anything here. I think episode one, is, like part one is a somewhat normal yeah. length. And then the other three are really not. I, I think everything um, after, like, once the reprises hit, so once the like once the reprise finishes, you're looking at about eighteen minutes per episode. Yeah. However, going into our cast on a high note, mm-hmm. John Leeson is back. <laughs> Yay! Yay! Except that you know Lala Ward fucks sure, it up. Sure, sure. <laughs> okay. Just sure, sure. let me enjoy my moment. Okay. So John came back to voice K nine. Mm-hmm. Um, having been persuaded by John Nathan Turner, we will give him. A tick for that. Thank you, John. Mm-hmm. Um, by this time, John could do K9's voice by vocal power alone, so he no longer needed the modulation equipment <laughs> that he used before. Which, again, I know I've said it a million times over. I've met John at conventions twice. He can do the voice just straight out. He doesn't need anything, and it sounds exactly like it sounds like in the episode with just John talking, which I Oh, I absolutely love. We yeah. have to get you to a con at some point, Paddy, yeah. where John is there, just so you can meet him and he can just talk to you in the K9 yeah. voice. Cause no, like, I'm not going to lie. When I heard the voice, I was like, we were very rough on David Brierley. We were. We were. And again, like, I don't think we can lay the blame entirely at David because he, like, God love him, he tried. He really did yes. try. And I think by the end of it, I think we said particularly with Shada, he mm. seemed to have found the rhythm. Yeah. Or he had found something. But, yeah, no, it just, like, there is only one canine. Yeah. We want the rest of our cast, though. Mm-hmm. So, as Mina, we have Adrienne Corey. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Adrienne. Her non-Who credits include The Three Musketeers, The Count of Monte Cristo, Ivanhoe, Doctor Zhivago, A Family at War, Revenge of the Pink Panther... Lovejoy, and also she was in A Clockwork Orange. She was the woman in that scene oh. of A Clockwork Orange. Right. Yep. No, sorry. There's two scenes. Is it the one with the big object or is it the one without the big object? I think it's the one with the big object. Okay. I have chosen never to watch that film. I don't care if it's like a fucking classic. I'm like, no, I don't. I don't no, like oh, that. but no, like it is a it is a rough watch, and I will say mm-hmm. that there's really good performances in it, but I am not going out of my way to watch that movie again. Adrian passed away in 2016. Brock is played by John Collin. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for John. His non-who credits include Zed Cars, Tess, The Guardians, The Big Pull, All Creatures Great and Small, and I knew I recognised him from somewhere. He was in the Julie Andrews movie Star. And he, so in Star, Julie Andrews plays, um, oh my god, I literally had her name on the tip of my tongue. Um, 
Fuck, I used to look it up. One second. Is, it, is it Dorothy? No, it's not Dorothy. No, no. It begins with G. Because uh, all I can remember now is Birmingham Bertie from Bow. Burlington Bertie. Oh, well, okay, Birmingham okay. Bertie. <laughs> I've been saying Birmingham Bertie for years. <laughs> I feel like uh, an idiot. Da, 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 da. Uh, based on the life of Gertrude Lawrence. That was Gertrude, it. Okay. Uh, yeah, so Gertie. Yeah, so he plays her husband. First husband or second husband? First one. Right. Is she? Wait, does she have two husbands or three husbands in that movie? Uh, she has two husbands and then like a weird sort of will she won't she with like two different R- guys at the same time. Yeah, because she ends up with Richard Crenna, the American guy, doesn't she? Yeah. 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 But then there's the bit with the Amer- with the officer guy and yeah. the other guy in the movie film. Yep. Okay. By the way, Star, brilliant fucking film. Mm-hmm. Really long, but very good recommend um john passed away in 1987 pangol is played by david haig only doctor who acted credit for david none who credits include and again there's other things where i'm looking at him going i know you from somewhere i know you from somewhere i know you from somewhere the thin blue line that was where i knew him it, from it's sans mustache he's very hard to pick out yeah he was also in my boy jack two weeks notice florence foster jenkins four weddings and a funeral penny dreadful another TV program, highly recommend. It's such a Penny good Dreadful. show. It's so, so good. good. And if you like Billy Piper, she's in it too. Um, and he was also in Downton Abbey, mm. which surprisingly I've never seen. Uh, I've seen. My mother loves it. I've never seen it. I've seen bits of it, and I'm curious to go watch it more because it's got some really good actors in it. Uh, and I was trying to go like when I saw, when you said Penny Dreadful, I was like, who is he in Penny Dreadful? And then I remembered, and I was like, oh, I fucking hate him, Penny Dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Penny he's, Dread- re- he's really good I, I need to rewatch that you hate him. I need to watch that show because it is so good at what it did which was incorporating mm. all the old Penny Dreadful Victorian gothic horror stories into one cohesive intermesh mm. world and Eva Green was amazing as was as I've was, forgotten her name. We'll discuss her at some point. Narcissa Malfoy. Oh, uh, Helen McCrory. Yep. Who unfortunately, who sadly is no longer with us. Yes. Uh, but also, Timothy Dalton's fucking brilliant in it. Um, yep. Oh, Josh. The American guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll check up his name there now because he deserves fucking credit as well. Yeah, because like, I knew him from Pearl Harbor. Mm. Josh Hartnett. Um, Josh Hartnett. Josh Hartnett. I knew him from Pearl Harbor. Um, and like he's sort of like one of those like heartthrobs of like the early two thousands or whatever. Um, and I remember we seeing this being like, oh my god, like it's fucking Josh Hartnett. And I was like, oh no no, he's really fucking good. And him and Eva Green are. Mm, oh, it's it's a fantastic series. Fantastic. Yep, highly recommend. Um, lastly, as Harden, we have Nigel Lambert. This is the first appearance for Nigel. Um, he also voiced the priest triangles in war of the sun tyrants and once upon time which are actually the second and third episodes of the flux season of jody's run mm. uh he also voiced several characters with big british so he's got a first thing um he's done who credits there's one that you love uh he voiced mr curry in the adventures of paddington bear television series yeah, which i thought you'd like i would like he was also uh papa in the dolmio pasta sauce puppet commercials 
which I just think is brilliant. Um, he was in UFO, The Further Adventures of the Musketeers, Shilling Retails, and The Avengers, the TV show, The Avengers. Just and yeah, one second there, because if it's like, yeah, because uh, the Adventures of Paddington Bear, which is the 2019 series, I believe, mm. is it has Ben Whishaw doing the voice of Paddington, and mm. as even as an adult. It's a fucking great TV series. It's <laughs> it's so wonderfully Paddington Bear. It's amazing. I'd highly recommend it to anyone. I will say, I think Paddington and Paddington 2 mm-hmm. are two of the best children's films, or two of the best family films ever made. Oh, hugely. They are amazing. They're like so good. <laughs> yeah. And like uh, the cringe factor in them never gets so high that it's like, ah, oh, for fuck's sake. And also I think Paddington 2 is quite possibly my favourite Hugh Grant performance. He is <laughs> he's fucking brilliant. <laughs> he's so good. Yeah. It explains why people were like, oh, how could Hugh Grant be in Dungeons and Dragons? Like, have you seen Paddington 2? Yeah. He, like, <laughs> I said this to uh, our good friends, uh, Paul and Dan, over in Half mm. Measures, that like, he is having this career renaissance as playing an absolute fucking prick. <laughs> 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 because you have this, you had Paddington, you had Dungeons and Dragons, you had The Gentleman, and then he did a TV series as well with Nicole Kidman. And like, he's an absolute bastard in all of them. It's amazing. But he's like a lovable bastard. Yes, he's like, it's the one time I think where the Hugh Grant charm really works its magic. <laughs> so yeah, recommendations from today. Yep. Star. Mm-hmm. Penny, Penny Dreadful. Dreadful. Paddington, anything from the recent two films to the cartoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else we had mentioned there? Downton Abbey, maybe. If you haven't yeah. seen it before, I haven't. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um and not a clockwork orange. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, story summary mm-hmm. done. Trivia done. Mm. John Leeson back. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say done. I was going to go really. <laughs> Do tell. Now we are on to our character discussion. So yes. we will be discussing the Doctor, the companions. I only wrote down Romana for companion. So did I. Harden. I was like, <sighs> he's on the line of prominent character into companion. Yeah, but he spends. As much time with Mina as he does with the Doctor and Romana. So I would just leave him as prominent character. Yeah, so I did Harden and Mina as prominent characters. Yes. Pangol is definitely villain. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, where the fuck do you put Brock? Who had his own little story going. Mm -hmm. Fucking independent of everybody else. So I put him as a villain, technically. Yeah. Because, like, he was fucking with the hive. I have him as villain as well, yeah. Yeah. So, Paddy, as you did our socials today, mm-hmm. that means it's your turn to go first. So, Doctor, thoughts, Paddington, go. Welcome to the John Nathan Turner era of the character discussions. <laughs> <laughs> um, this was a very interesting story for the Doctor, I thought. Mm. Because 
because of the limitation placed on him by his age, it's been a very long time since we've seen the Doctor being old and mm. infirmity playing a factor into his participation in the story. We haven't seen it since Bill. Mm. We haven't. And, like, it's all it it's almost kind of like tent planet vibes you know with the whole this old body of mine's wearing a bit thin mm. um but like we've seen other times you know where like even if you go back to the daleks where like he's because of his age he's weakening quicker than the others because of the radiation um mm. so it was great seeing him here playing old and uh, because he's still trying to be the doctor like he's still mm. trying to contribute He's not trying to be reliant on anyone. And it's like, I wanted to see how Tom would do it. And he didn't do a gimmick. He didn't do it. He kept, uh, he kept pure to the character, but playing him as an older version of himself. Mm. Yeah. As much as I love the guy, he wasn't like Vic, Dick Van Dyke in his 90s, still up on a table, fucking tap dancing away type shit. <laughs> Please more do. like Dick Van Dyke in the original Mary Poppins. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Please, we're not ready when for When he was life. playing the other the bankers. Yeah. The head banker. We're we're not ready for Dick Van we're not ready for the loss of Dick Van Dyke. Please keep him around for another couple of years. Uh, Don't jinx it. Yeah. <laughs> touch touch wood, touch wood. Um so yeah, I I re I really enjoyed it here. Although I will say I think it's kind of part of the overall is and I would, I again, I'd be very curious to know what uh, John Nathan Turner and By Me, or whatever his name is, counted as superfluous material to the story. Because how the fuck does Brock get the Doctor's scarf? Brock got the Doctor's scarf because when the Doctor went into the machine the first time. He wrapped his scarf around a mannequin, mm. and I don't think we saw him put it back on. I think we. I think he, we. Well, this is he the dropped part. his scarf because his 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 coat was right outside the cabinet mm. thing, and his scarf was around a mannequin. So we know he put his coat back on, but I don't know if he put his scarf back on. This is the problem with the all fucking burgundy variant costume. Everything yeah. blends in together. So like. I can't remember whether or not he had the scarf on or not, you know, mm. because I was like, going, where the fuck did he get the scarf from? And how would he yeah. not notice that he doesn't have his buddy scarf? Because um, this is before he's de-aged. Um, no, like, overall, I, I enjoyed the Doctor in this one. Mm. Yeah, for me, I think it was a very interesting Doctor story. I agree with you. I think what's interesting for me is, like I said, we see the Doctor, we see the fourth Doctor as an old man. And what's interesting for me is that, like, if you think back to uh, Tenth Planet and what came after, um, with the changeover from Bill to mm-hmm. Patrick Troughton, mm-hmm. uh, if you think about Patrick Troughton's first episode, he had his five hundred year diary, yep, which kind of set the expectation that the Doctor was around five hundred years plus, mm-hmm. so five hundred years plus a over. Here we have Tom's Doctor who even if we allow for time in between stories, has been in this body for, we'll say, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Right? Assuming that he did some off-screen shit. And he's now been aged up another 500 years. So this body 
even though he regenerated into it, he wasn't born into it, has now aged to the same physical point that Bill's body was in mm-hmm. when he regenerated. And so, like, I thought that, that was interesting that it was like that 500 year mm-hmm. change because A, it shows that, you know, the doctor can age. Like, it wasn't just the first doctor body mm-hmm. lived for a very long time, but that the doctor can age 500 years in a single body. Mm-hmm. That, like, his aging, his physical aging is significantly slowed. Mm-hmm. Um, and 500 years in a given body is considered old. Yes. Which I thought, was, like, from, a, like, a lore perspective, because the doctor burns through fucking regenerations like there's no tomorrow, is quite interesting, mm-hmm. I think. I completely agree with you. I think Tom played it really well. He didn't ham it up. I will say we do see future doctors who play the doctor aged up. And I don't think they play it anywhere near as well as Tom played it here. No. No. I'm thinking of one story in particular. And I don't think that particular doctor played it as well like here like a the makeup was really good yeah kudos to the makeup department it was really good mm-hmm. not just on the doctor but on mina as well mm-hmm. they did that really really well like kudos to the makeup department but like I said, there's no hammy it up he's just an old man and tom plays it as just an old man He's a little bit slow in the uptake. He's a little bit slow in the shuffle. He's getting tired easier. He's not remembering things as quickly as he would have. Mm-hmm. But it's not like, oh, my bones. And like, there's no yeah. like quivering of the voice or anything. It's just old and tired, which mm-hmm. I thought was great. Um, outside of that, I think I'm curious how much of... The lack of interaction we have between the Doctor and Romana is because that's the way it was in the script. Or or because they took out and repositioned scenes so they wouldn't have to be together. Yeah. Because we have very few scenes of the Doctor and Romana on their own. I think the closest we have to a solid scene of the two of them together on their own is actually in episode one where they're having the discussion while um what's his face uh pangol is giving his presentation mm-hmm. that's probably like the closest to a full-blown actual conversation the two of them have in the entire thing otherwise it's just like one or two lines and then it's done yeah do you know whereas this it's implied that they've been stood there for half an hour mm-hmm. having this back and forth scientific conversation um we don't see the doctor sciencing it up much in this one most of that went to Romana. Mm-hmm. The science thing that he did do was sort of looking in a cupboard and what's this? But we don't actually see him do a whole lot, which again, not always required. The focus in the story was clearly what if the doctor was old? Mm-hmm. And I think they did that um, really well. Um, yeah, no, I thought I thought it was good. Um, good performance. Interesting story. And there's mm-hmm. one thing as well, like that kind of stood out to me is that and I think it's I'll be very curious when we readdress it with or if we get to address it with the next with the next group of doctors is 
this cavalier attitude that the doctor has towards taking on the black guardian you know he's like he calls him like a i'm like a, a, a mad hobo with power injury or something like that so that was something i was going to mention a little bit with leela or not leela i was going to mention a little bit with romana and i was going to mention it overall i'll mention it a bit now why is the black garden suddenly being mentioned again or fuck off nowhere like black garden wasn't mentioned at all last season no um, and like if you're a new watcher to the show you've no clue what they're talking about hmm. um I, so i was a bit surprised that they mentioned it again also like there's a whole thing about the randomizer which i'll, I'll talk about that with romana but. yeah and the th- but like i was kind of going into is that there's this there's this element of hubris to the doctor which is like you like you know that the black guardian is a primordial entity who's like mm. a counterbalance to as you said like a, one of the aspects of light that existence is made out of you're being very cavalier over the fact that like, you know I, I you know like fucking i can take him type shit you know mm. and it's a thing where i can remember the other doctors being sort of like cavalier towards entities that thought of themselves as mm. godlike but not but never actually godlike whereas mm. i don't know it's just a bit strange because like, i like do you remember like uh with like sutek like mm. tom was like if he comes back it's bad mm. and i would probably on a power scaling probably put the black guardian above sutek yeah, he's being mm. very cavalier with the black guardian so no, it's, it's like is the hubris kind of setting in like a bit now you know mm. Uh, but yeah. Then we have Romana. Mm. How about you don't throw a massive fucking temper tantrum and make the dog fetch the ball from the water? You know the thing that he's weak against. Fucking pleb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like I normally when I do my recaps, I save all my character notes till afterwards. I don't really, unless something kind of funny stands out, I'll, you know, I'll generally like leave everything at the end. No, like I had to stop and I had to write this into like the character note for Romana straight away. Like I was just so fucking annoyed. I was like going, you're like, you are being like just a complete fucking brat here. Mm. And like, it's like, I was kind of thinking back over like the last number of stories, you know? Yeah. and like we were kind of going like oh i had said like you know oh i can i can see like you know why people like kind of got on board with the romana doctor chemistry in you know in shada or we're getting on board with or or whatever now it's like we're going back to the like we've nearly gone back to no we i sorry no not nearly we are going back to like creature from the pit um destiny of the daleks type area here like you know mm. and it's also it, it is kind of strange because if you think about it, like david fisher wrote this and david mm. as we said wrote android or stones of blood stones and, Andro- of blood. and Andro- androids of tara and we fucking they were our top picks for mary tam mm. uh bec- and like then you had creature from the pit which we both felt was kind of written from no we, we said we knew was written for mary 
but acted by Lala. And there was just this, just a complete mm. not or here. It's okay. Okay. We have the established Romana too. So David can write for her. And he write like, he, I don't know whether he, maybe he doesn't like Lala Ward either because Romana for me is terrible in the story. Like, she, as I said, she has her little temper tantrum at the start. Then throughout the entire story, she just comes across as very naggy to me. And then at the at the end as well, I don't know whether it was, I don't know if it was intentional or if maybe you picked up on it, but it was like she kind of shunts the doctor to the side when he gets old in the sense of like, oh, you know, you're a hindrance, you stay over there. And... Because she sh- she shoots down every idea he comes up with, and goes off in her own direction with no real direction behind it. Like she asks Harden, "How long will it take to build this other module?" And he doesn't give a time. He just says, "I need to do this," and she's like, "Oh, I'll get started on the whatever." And it's like you have you have a solution that's five minutes away, versus one you don't know how long it's going to take, and you know the time is a factor. Where is the logic behind that? Yeah, I would disagree with you on that. I'll get that in a second, but okay, okay. Um, just like the the logic side of things, or the shunting of the doctor to the side type. Mm, shunting the doctor. Okay, okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, so like for, for me, there wasn't a whole lot about Romana I liked in the story. Yes, we see her her brain being used a lot more in the sense of like, you know, she's the one that helps Harden with his experiment. Mm. And she's the one that's kind of, uh, that goes into the generator to try and find out what Pangol's secret is. Mm. But for the rest of the story, it's, I do not like Romana in this one. Mm. My first note that I wrote for the entire, well, actually, no. My first note I wrote for the entire thing, I'll explain when we get to the overall. My second note I wrote for the entire thing, she blew up a, she blew up a canine, fucking hate her forever. Right. Yeah. Um, because okay, she threw a tantrum. Not everyone likes you know, wet and windy beaches in Britain. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not that much fun. Um, and canines are seeing all these other places that they could have gone, which would have been nicer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she fucks the ball and she's like, "Find, go fetch." Right. She didn't intentionally throw it into the water. She didn't do that on purpose. But then when she sees him going towards the water, she's like, K-9! And it's this big dramatic thing, like, just tell him to stop! Like, there's all this tension of, K-9's going towards the water! He's going to... But, but this is one of the first times we've sort of, like, I know, like, in Andrew of Tara, we saw him in a boat. Mm-hmm. But, like, I think this is the first time we've actually had confirmed that, like, him and water don't mix. Mm. Um, And it's like, she's just like, it's just like this super tense... Like, oh my god, it's the end. I'm like, okay, A, it is the end of the world because you're blowing up K9, donkey. But also, just tell him to stop. Mm. He's a he's a robot. He will... New order supersedes previous order. That's the way it works. Um. So yeah. Total donkey moment. Mm. Okay. The Black Guardian and the Randomizer. Mm. Right. She's saying... I want to go to Argolis. In the same fucking breath, don't you bypass the randomizer. 
because that will draw the Black Guardian on us. Okay, so you want to go to Ar- Argolis, but you think by passing the randomizer, like he did to get you to Brighton, is an issue. This has not been an issue for the entire previous season, or last week when you specifically went to specific locations to in, in Shara. We specifically went to particular places in time and space. The, the whole of last season, there was very specific travel to time and to particular places in time and space. That wasn't a problem. The randomizer was an option, but it wasn't a necessity. Now suddenly she's giving out and saying that the randomizer is a necessity because the Black Garden is on them. I'm like, make up your mind, woman. Mm. And all I'm thinking is David Fisher knew of the Black Guardian storyline Mm-hmm. from when he was doing his stories yeah and so he wanted to bring it back in and sort of whatever but like it wasn't in the entire last season so it doesn't make any sense um also i think like in the story she had a weird mix of you know we get to see her intelligence and whatever which i'll get in a second but like <laughs> when the doctor goes into the recreation machine which by the way is just a booth so I don't get how at one point both him and Pangol are in there. It's yeah. like, would you not see each other? It's the size of a phone box. Unless it's like a TARDIS, in which case you never fucking mentioned that. Um, But she's screaming at the doctor to get out of it. This essentially happens twice. Mm. It happens when he first goes in on his own. And it happens when he gets aged up. How about instead of just screaming... And banging on the door, you use your noggin and turn the machine off. You are smart enough to understand how these controls work. Just turn it off. As opposed to just standing there and screaming, Doctor, Doctor, no. I'm like, no, 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 no. You're a Romana. You're an intelligent Time Lord. Don't just stand there screaming when you know what the solution is. This isn't a technology you're unfamiliar with. You're literally... It went through the whole thing of, I understand all of this. Don't just stand there wailing like a mm. weirdo. Like, fuck off. On the flip side of that, we do get to see her intelligence. So, Harden... I, I did quite like her and Harden working together. For that one scene in particular, where they first started working together. I did quite like that. Because it's nice to see Romana being the specialist. Mm-hmm. You know, Romana attended the academy more recently than the doctor did she did very well we know that already so that was great clearly though this woman did not pay attention to how you're meant to run experiments don't leave the experiment running unattended and don't test it on live specimens without double and triple checking or a million times checking your fucking results Hmm. the doctor aging forwards is on you because you saw the grains of sand going back up went eureka we did it didn't bother shutting the fucking thing off didn't bother seeing what happens when you do try to shut it off and didn't try testing it on multiple other inanimate things before you tested it on your friend harden is also to blame for that but she should know better They are dealing with time. She understands what the potential ramifications are. Stupid. Um, 
so like for me I think like I liked seeing her with Harden but I sort of felt it was kind of half-assed because she's not being a scientist yeah you know like you know I was talking to one of our friends in work today and we were joking about like lab mishaps over the years mm-hmm. and I was telling the story but when I was 16 years old or 17 16 or 17 I assisted at the open night that my school was having, my secondary school was having, for the new first years coming in. And I was down in the lab doing the same experiment over and over and over and over again for the bones of three hours. This experiment involved ammonia. And because I was having to do this experiment on repeat for three hours, I just kept the ammonia in a beaker on the desk. (laughs) Now, the only person who could reach it was me. Yeah. But still, and I was stood next to it for three hours. I then had to clean up my station and go home. My teacher had to leave because her children were waiting for her. And so she left me the key and said, clean up and leave the key. And I said, fine. So I cleaned up. And I never asked her what I was meant to do with the ammonia. And you could say, Trish, you should have known. I was 16. There is no should. So I threw it down the sink. Mm. And then ran the cold water for a few minutes to flush the system and clean the beaker. I walked home from my school with our friend Vicky, giggling like a fucking loon the whole way home. Following morning... I had chemistry first thing in that room at that station next to that sink. I sat down and within five minutes, I was once again giggling like a fucking idiot. And my teacher walked over and literally was, was got this whiff and was like, what the fuck did you do? <laughs> Needless to say, I learned my lesson. Yeah. I was 16. Mm-hmm. This woman is way older than that mm-hmm. and is meant to be like top of her class all knowing top of her class time lord like you shouldn't be making mistakes i was making it 16 is my point yeah and yes an ammonia contact eye is hilariously funny <laughs> um but yeah so uh, in terms of your thing about like she sidelined the doctor once he aged up i didn't see it that way okay i saw it as and again this could have been me making the 500 year connection thing I saw it as her being fucking terrified for him. Hmm. And like, he his current body has now aged up 500 years. He is old. It was aged up artificially. And she's just like, we need to fix you, but we need to focus on how to do that. Please don't run away. Please like, just let us find a way to fix you, was the way that I saw it. Okay. And... She had been the one working with Harden. She knew what they had done. Mm-hmm. He didn't. He wasn't in the room for that. So there's that. And then in terms of him being, of you know, like, where's the logic between building something new when there's a solution five minutes away? There's a solution five minutes away in their TARDIS, which is not directly compatible with the technology they're using. Mm-hmm. And it's the randomizer, <laughs> which she has already said. And I know I said I have an issue with her use of it. The randomizer, they can't 
not have it in the TARDIS because they need it to protect them from the Black Guardian. So, like, for me, I saw it as... It wasn't her, like, shooting down all of her ideas. It was her shooting down ideas that she deemed to be too dangerous in the state he was in. Because if they tried it, you know, and a technology not designed to interact with each other, that's designed for a completely different purpose, mm. and they put him in it, and he aged forward even more, he would die. Mm. And he may not regenerate, depending on how how it worked. So I didn't see it as her sidelining him. I saw it as her protecting him. Yeah, and like, now that you say it, that probably is the thing. It's just like my, I just didn't like her in this story. And mm. it probably it probably has colored my perception of, towards her actions. But then, yeah. like, you know, you Wait. you also point out like that, you know, like the um, her thing with the randomizer. But and but as you said, like it wasn't an issue for her when they were going to Argonus. Yeah. So it, I don't I don't they don't know what to do with the Black Iron. But one thing I will say is, at one point, her voice got very hard. Mm. Um, so it wasn't quite like um, in the Horns of Naimon where I quite liked the way she stood up for herself and mm-hmm. defended the Athenians <laughs> um, yeah. um, but here when Harden's saying that he's going to go get Mina she sort of like snaps it was like mm. you'll get caught and you could tell he's like I don't fucking care Yeah. and I was like okay Romana di- dial it down like you're you're, you're we're like at a seven, I used to bring it down to like five. Mm. He's a grown man and he can make his own choices. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think you know, compared to the horns of Lyman, n- no, 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 I <laughs> this definitely won't be cracking like the, the best performances list anyway for no. me. I don't think, no. uh, so we should want to her partner in scientific crime. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we have we're into the prominent character section, and we have Harden. Okay, now this is the thing. Okay, he clearly has a love for Mina, yes. but is it a platonic love or is it a romantic love? That's... I think he's in love with her. I think he's in love with her. Like, yeah, one hundred and ten percent. Yeah, <laughs> because like you, you can, like you can make the argument for platonic love. But it's, it is kind of hard to, you cannot completely discount romantic love from, from this relationship here. Roger. The fact that she says our relationship will have to change. Yeah. And so he has to refer to her as. Um, the director. Director. And then later on when he's, when he sees that she's gone into her. Mm final stages or whatever and he's like you know guiding her along holding her up and calling her Mina again and she's like I see we've slipped back into and I'm like oh I think she likes him too yeah like and it's and I don't know like because she's Pangol's quote-unquote mother yeah and Pangol or her predecessor says to Pangol your mother will take over yeah and Pangol calls that man father yeah but I don't know if those two are actually romantically connected because she seemed to have zero fucking remorse with the other guy died. G- given the revelation about Pangol, I they probably yeah. aren't married. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, it was for probably for show more nighting, given the fact that they were trying to keep 
Pangold's exist, like Pangold's origin a secret. Yeah, um, but going back to Harden, yes, I think he was in love with her. Okay, um, yeah, no, because like there's, you know, the vibe is so tangible. You could like fucking cut it with a knife, um, mm. because his dedication to her is definitely of that for someone that you love in some capacity, be it platonic or mm. romantic. Um, what I also like about Harden is that he just, he seems like a decent guy. Like is in the sense of like, he really wanted his experiments to work. Like he wasn't trying to trick them because he was a con man or anything like that. Yeah. He had to lie because he had thought he had found the solution and he didn't want to let them down. But like, there's no, I don't think there's inher- any inherent evil or badness within him. Mm. And while I, you know, yeah, it was good to see him interact with Romana more so than the doctor. I preferred his scenes with Mina. Because mm. I thought that's where his character was the strongest. Yeah. I see you. Have so thoughts. for me, like, <laughs> He definitely has a thing for her anyway. Yeah. Um, and I do kind of hope that, like, after credits rolled, that, like, those two get together. Because, yeah. Um, overall, though, I find him to be quite an interesting character, right? Because he's clearly a passionate scientist. Mm-hmm. And he does care for the plight of the Argolans. I don't think that's just about Mina. I think he cares about them all. Yeah. So why lie? And this is the thing is I don't know if it was too many cooks in the kitchen in terms of the writing and paring it down or whatever, or if it's just the way it worked. But like at the beginning, you know, the doctor and my man are like, oh, that's clearly a fake. And I'm like, oh my God, is Harden actually a bad guy? Do you know, he's lying to Mina. Mm-hmm. They faked the experiment. It doesn't work. So what was he hoping to accomplish by coming to Argolis with an experiment that doesn't fucking work? Like, what was the fucking point? So, I, I, like, what was he intending to get out of it? Like, was he just hoping for more time? Like, you know, Stimson gave, Stimson gave him funding. Was he hoping that, like, he'd get more funding from Mina? But, like, Mina thought it was working. So... I think i think what maybe what his intention was what once he reached argolis he'd have access to pangol's equipment rather than his home created one so mm. he maybe he felt like with pangol's stuff his experiments would actually find would be consistent but i don't get why lie to her do you know like i there is an awful lot of there are several issues with the writing of this story that make no sense. Yeah. Like, and... like the other thing with like the whole him lying, right? Is like I, I do like from his point of view, I love how he pulled in Romana. Mm-hmm. Do you know? She got him to open up and admit that it was a fake and he clearly wanted to unburden himself on someone. And you know, when Romana offered to help him, I think he saw, like, this was his opportunity to save Mina, essentially, is what he wants to do. And now that I'm looking at it, and we mentioned Penny Dreadful earlier, Mina and... What what was Keanu Reeves' character's name in Dracula? 
Is it Harker or something? Har- Harker, yeah. Is there meant to be some sort of connection there that I've only just realized? <laughs> well, see, see th- this is the thing is that like, because I, I, okay, I don't care what anyone says. I love Francis Ford Coppola's version of Dracula, the Don mm-hmm. Reeves. Um because I think it's it's the one and only time I have ever liked Dracula as like a slightly tragic character. I think it's the only mm-hmm. time it's ever been pulled off well for for my personal taste. Every other time I prefer it when he's a cruel, heartless bastard. Um, but yeah, because like there's this thing of like where by the end of it, neither of them are the same person that they were. No. There's there's something here, and. So, yeah, possibly because Harden is human and Mina is our goal. And, and she's all, at the at the time that they are, they enter into whatever relationship they have, she knows that she's going to die. And he has to accept yeah. that. So there is this struggle to save her from her fate. Kind of like, yeah, trying mm-hmm. to save Mina from becoming yeah. Dracula's next bride. I really. Want I don't to know read... why my brain. I, I was just looking at my notes. I just saw their names. Like uh, that and I was like, I, I actually, okay. I actually watched the fucking Francis Ford Coppola movie during the week. <laughs> um, like, if you're looking, okay, like we've made recommendations. I will highly recommend that movie to anyone. It is so fucking good, and I don't care. Like Keanu's accent, yeah, ain't the best, but it's not the worst. Yeah. Looking at you again, Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we love you, but no. Yeah. Um, anyway, what I was saying, so like he clearly wants to unburden himself and he unburdens himself to Romana and they start working on it and they, you know, they work well together. The issue I have though is with Stimson. The character of Stimson makes no fucking sense, right? You say that after Stimson left, mm-hmm. that's when Harden unburdened himself to Romana and confirmed that what he was doing was fake. He hadn't fucking left the room. He was still in there. So, like, so Stimson, Stimson gives him shit being like, don't you fucking dare tell him it's fake and the doctor will figure out that it's fake and blah, 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 blah. You know, find a way to get them out of the room. We can trick them if they're in another room or whatever. And Harden's like, Harden's like yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he comes up with this bullshit reason of radiation, you have to get out of the room. It's like, fine. The doctor leaves. Mina leaves. Romana, for some reason, putters around. And Stimson is standing there, clearly waiting for the experiment to start. Then Romana starts talking to Harden, and Stimson is still standing there, looking at them. Romana's like, it's fake, isn't it? And Stimson's, or Harden's like, yeah, it is. She's figured it out. Why the fuck did you just admit it? Stimson is standing right fucking there. He hasn't even left the room. He's, he's, he's standing in the room in front of the door. He hasn't left. He can hear you. He literally just rolled your ass on the fact that you're not meant to spill the beans about the fact that it's fake. And you literally do within two minutes of that conversation. And I'm like, what the hell? Um, Stimson is a whole thing in its, in its own right. That makes no sense. Um, but again, do more tests before you test on a live person because clearly Harden's goal was to use it on the um, our goals to use it on Mina mm-hmm. if I was doing an experiment to save the life of someone I 
cared for, be it a friend or a loved one or whatever, I would run that experiment 50 million times before attempting it on a, a fucking real person and before even considering testing it on the person that I, that I loved. Like the fact that he, again, runs the experiment, it works for a minute, then leaves the room, leaves the experiment running. And in fairness, he does try and say, like, oh, I'd, I'd I'd rather check again. But, like, no, put your foot down, dude. Like, if you explain to her that you need to do a few more tests, you know, it's her life at risk or whatever, she would listen to you. <laughs> like, no, put your foot down. <laughs> Be a man. But then, again, at the end, he clearly cared about her so much. He was devastated when she thought that she died. Him carrying her through the facility mm. to try and save her is lovely it was very very sweet so yeah i agree with you though his best scenes are him and mina mm-hmm. and i wish them all the best with their new son pango yeah i have i have a comment about that uh and i don't know where to save it for me i think i'll save it for the overall because it's yeah. it, it's i think it's more so the overall's issue than it is mina's issue but speaking of Mina, yeah, I I really liked Mina as a character because mm-hmm. it, it must be an incredibly difficult and terrible responsibility to maintain the remnants of a dying race and accept the fact that there's no way out. Mm-hmm. Like, we will keep going to the very end. And it's like, you're you're building a legacy in the hopes that the rest of the universe doesn't fall into the same thing that you fell into. It's like the Leisure Hive is like part Epcot Center, part Museum of Tolerance. Mm. Um, the way that it is. And it's like she's in, like I love the fact that she's incredibly strong in her convictions throughout the whole story. Like she refuses to be bullied by Pangol. Like even mm. when she's there literally moments from death. She's trying to stop him from damning the rest of the surviving Argolans. Mm. Um, I, I, I really liked it. I, I did. Um, I liked, obviously we talked about the relationship with Hard. It is, I think it's probably the strongest thing in the, in the whole story. That relationship. Mm. Um, and again, it's like she want like she she's also an incredibly fair person because as we saw, like you know, she doesn't immediately go with Pangol's whole thing of oh let's just you know try them by fire and water and she's like no that's the always Brock's whole evidence she's like well he has a chance to refute it and she lets the doctor essentially swear on their version of a Bible, you know, mm-hmm. so she gives. Every, like, or she even says, like, you know, technically you're criminally trespassing in this place. However, if you agree to help Harden with his experiments, that will go a long way towards us trusting you. Hmm. And then she shows them, like, you know, like she explains to them the history of the war, which is, yeah, I didn't go into it, but the war lasted 20 minutes. And hmm. it was uh, basically our goal has got nuked to shit. Yep. Um, yeah, so interesting um but yeah no like i like mean and harden's relationship and i suppose by proxy mean and harden themselves 
they're probably the strongest and most interesting part of this whole story. Mm. Or I would I would say strongest and most well executed part of this whole story. Yes. I would agree. I really liked Mina. I felt so sorry for her. Like once her little age pebbles started falling off, I don't know what to describe it. Yeah, it's um, like at the top of the like, every Yard Golan's hairdo, there's this little kind of essentially like the inside of a grapefruit. And mm-hmm. when the closer they are to death, the seeds that are in this little kind of cone start falling out. Yeah. So once that started, you could tell she really did not anticipate it happening that quickly. Mm-hmm. And like when she realizes that Harden lied to her, you can tell she's so devastated. Mm. And like it's my thing of like, dude, why did you lie to her? Like, why? Yeah. <laughs> like you're breaking her heart. Please don't do this. Um she clearly hung all of her hopes, not necessarily for herself, but for her people on him and his work. Mm. And like she even says herself that like their ultimate solution was that they would just walk out and die by my suicide like yeah that, that that was going to be it um i think the way she describes what the hive was meant to be i think is lovely i think another thing as well that like it's like the war lasted 20 minutes the hive has only been around for 40 years yeah ish like she was alive during the war mm-hmm. and the fact that she's someone who lived through the 20 minute war and obviously the lead up to and the fallout from and she's still like no like the whole idea like the, their whole idea was to essentially create a load of holodecks mm-hmm. that people could experience what it's like to be the other in another culture how to immerse themselves in other cultures and learn and grow and it like that's the legacy she wanted to leave and like again for her people. it's also interesting because the argolans were the aggressors in the war that was the thing. Like, it was like they like. It's interesting that they're they're the aggressors. Uh, the Fomasi government has apparently been trying to give them money in, as he said, like it's blood money to try and make up for the genocide that was visited upon the aggressors. And Mina wants the legacy of "Do not follow our example. Be good to each other." Yeah, yeah, and like. The way she deals with everything is just so good. Like I, I really, really like her as a character. Um, the fact that like we find that she raised Pangol, he's not her son mm-hmm. as such. Um, although chosen families are also families. That's not mm-hmm. pretend they're yeah. not. Um, but the fact that like even as she's dying, she's like, "You'll have to be more level-headed. You'll have to be more even-minded." Like, I think part of it is like a mother's blindness mm-hmm. to the sheer psychosis that she has raised. <laughs> um, but like, she's still trying to guide him to be what they set out to be. And I, I don't know. I just think she's great. I think for me, I think her and Harden are adorable as hell. Mm-hmm. Harden, I had a few issues with just because I think his writing wasn't very consistent. Mm-hmm. Her writing was. And she is my favorite part of the entire, the entire story. Yeah. No. Yeah. As I said, like most, 
like in in a story spoiler in a story that has a lot of interesting concepts hmm. she is probably herself and Harden but more so her as you say are the most well executed yes and the performance is amazing mm. your really? one played her at the different ages very well very good there's there's like elements of and again it kind of predates it but it gives me memories of Maggie Smith in Hook as older Wendy mm. and also um, Hayley Atwell as older Peggy in yeah. Civil War you know mm. yeah no, no, again, it's like, yes, I, we, <laughs> we've It's not Civil it. War I have, uh, no. Civil War I have an issue with. Older Peggy, I have an issue with in a later film. Yeah, in a later thing, yeah. But uh, it's Fuck like. Fuck you, the, you prick. Yeah. <laughs> but it's this thing of like, you know, the person with the younger person who's like, you know, we, like, we just never had the right time type scenario, you know? Mm. Yeah. But like, mm. obviously, this predates all of that, so it's its own thing. Yeah. Moving so on quickly. To, <laughs> yeah. Before I go off with a Captain America rant, um, on to our villains. So mm. we have Brock and Pangal. Yeah. Now, do you want to do the villain that made somewhat sense, or the villain that didn't? I think we'll do Brock first because he is the lesser of the. The Pangal is the true okay. villain here, but Brock. Yes. Brock has an element of it as well yeah. of villainy and it's like to be fair he's a crafty fucker I'll, I'll give him that like the whole concept of like trying to get a premises given to you under the whole thing of like I'm I, I'm here to like represent the groups of investors like I'm here with the altruistic hand meanwhile mm-hmm. you're subtly fucking sabotaging the whole place to make your offer look even better but they can't connect it because also yeah they did like the Fomasi did it first before the Sladeen so fucking you know up yours the body compression suits and the voice modulators um it, I, I think it was a very ingenious idea however dude know your audience like the minute you said that you represented a cartel of Fomasi mm. interests you're like will burn the place to the fucking ground before they ever get a chance to step foot in here. It's like, at that point, it's like, change tact, change tact immediately. Uh, so like, as I said, crafty, but also a bit dumb. Yeah. Like, my thing was, I'll get into it more in the overall. Mm-hmm. What was the point of him? Other than to demonstrate continually Pangal's psychotic psychotic nature. I think because the... like so he presents as human mm-hmm. which Pangal has an issue with. Yeah. He's you know, trying to push through this sale, which Pangal has an issue with. Then it comes out that he's part of the Formosi, which Pangal has is like I'm like, is he just there to show how batshit pangol is because like they wrap up his character without any proper resolution do you know it it is it is kind of rushed in the sense because like Um, we never get the why like okay so brock and his consortium of people want to buy this planet that 
in their minds, shut the fucking our golden's gonna die off in a few years anyway. Let's legally claim the planet as ours. We'll buy it. Because we can live here and they can't. I was like, okay. But no, there's also the element of the leisure hive is a legitimate business front and they as criminals need somewhere to have as like on the books as, you know, here's where we're getting our money yeah, from. Yeah, but like, we get that in one, one brief mm. mention by the ambassador. Mm-hmm. We got one brief mention of that and then that's it. And like, it's just wrapped up so quickly. I'm like, for a story that had a length problem, as in it was too short, mm-hmm. let's use the extra five minutes spaced across the four episodes. I think the issue for me with their with the resolution of Brock's story is like himself and his buddy were trapped in this impenetrable web, yet somehow man they managed to escape and get the ship and fly off. And we assume it was them. Oh, you think that it could be he could pretend to oh, be no. the phone? The ambassador says, "Oh, they must have escaped and taken the ship." Yeah, that could have been fucking anyone. Mm. You know, like I don't know. I just think it was wrapped up way too quickly, and I'm like, okay, your whole thing now has just eaten up time that could have been given to something else. <laughs> um, do you like it? I mean, ima- imagine for a second if the reveal had been that Harden mm-hmm. was actually um a um from mostly like imagine if that was the reveal mm. and that because their golems wouldn't let the Formosi play pay reparations Harden started working on this technology to give them life back. Like, imagine Mina's reaction to finding out that this guy that she trusted was actually lying to her the whole time. Not because he didn't know how to get his experiment to work, but because he wasn't actually human. Yeah. And then you're entering into the Romeo and Juliet side of things, you know? Yeah. In my mind, much better reveal. (laughs) Much better reveal than they want to buy the planet. (laughs) Yeah, it's like... There's elements, as I said, of this story that they just feel rushed, and it it felt it felt very disconnected, you know, mm. uh, because at its core, when we move on to Pangol, there's a really and you, you talk about the reveal, right? Mm. Are, are, are you finished talking about Brock, or is there anything? Yeah, else no, no, no. Okay, so no. we move on. To I Pangol? didn't see the point of it. That, that was my oh, okay. Uh, so we move on to Pangol. Mm-hmm. Okay, so like, I do not like the new, you know, incidental music, because when he mm. says he's a child of the recreation generator, you know, it's this weird, like, you know, bob, 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 a thing on a keyboard, like, or a synthesizer keyboard. Mm. There's no, like, oh, shock factor to that revelation with that music, you know? Mm. Um, But, like, at the core, there is a very dark story here surrounding Pangol. Okay. Mm. It's very it it, it kind of, it has this element of the you know boys from Brazil, Joseph Mengele fucking mm. you know, Ubermensch type thing. Because mm. 
the remaining Argolans put all their DNA samples in to try and restart their civilization. Right? Mm. And here you have this child that he's the, he's the only one that survives. Mm. And like first and foremost, I think Pangol is an interesting villain. Like at his core mm. concept, he's an interesting villain because his m- mania and his ego is probably born from the fact that he's the only survivor of this experimental process. So that, to me, it automatically instills the sense of destiny within him. Like, not mm-hmm. like, I'm I'm a lucky survivor. It's like, no, I was the destined one. I was the strongest. I was the one that was, I meant to lead our goddess to rise again. And mm-hmm. it has this like very kind of boys from Brazil, which is also, again, very underrated movie. Fucking brilliant. Um, for anyone that hasn't seen it, it's all about a plot to recreate the life of Hitler in clones that are spread throughout the world and recreate the circumstances of Hitler's rise to power. Fucking amazing. Um, and like the... I think David Haig did a, did a, does a really good job here because the speed at which Morix dies and then Mina starts to affect it as well. He's coming closer to the fruition of his dream of attaining power. So the kind of the walls start crumbling down a small bit because he knows that there's going to be no one that could stop him because once he becomes director, his power is absolute. Mm. And also because he's the last surviving child of the 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 recreate the recreation generator he's not affected by the same ailments that the rest of them have mm. so like he is this unique individual and yeah like i just there's like everything was there's such a darkness here to this story that mm. it's completely untapped because mm. of poor Unnecessary side, like unnecessary side characters like Stimson, nonsensical kind of writing. Like, we could have had someone here that is in the vein of Eldred, mm. and it's just a seed of that, in my opinion. Yeah, like <laughs> I wrote two words for Pango because I was like, I need to. I couldn't do like typing flow of consciousness as like, it needs to be a conversational yeah. flow of consciousness. Yeah. I was just like, Pangol's fucking weird. Um, <laughs> do you know who Pangol reminds me of? Who? Lore. As in Brent Spiner lore? Yeah. Yeah, I can see it. <laughs> because how the hell do Mina and whatever his, his name was? Morix. Morix raise someone to be that batshit. Do you know? Like, they both clearly had their heads screwed on straight. Mm -hmm. Do you know? They both had a vision and they were both falling through it. And this (laughs) is what they go with. This guy who, like, he says that, like, after his creation, people stopped looking into tachyons. They they couldn't understand, so they they had to wait until he grew up, that he could investigate it. And I kind of got the sense that Harden's experiment, Pangol could have done that ages ago. Mm. 
and he chose not to. It's this idea of him being created to help the the people around him or whatever. And instead, he decides, I'm better than you. I'm stronger than you. I'm smarter than you. You're weak. I'm going to, you know, bring back this golden age of whatever or whatever. And the the only thing I could think of was, it's like Doctor Who's version of lore. (laughs) Do you know? Um, but the thing with Pangol that I that I, I I didn't quite get and maybe I missed it is his his use of the recreation or recreation recreation generator. If they say like oh like what's this for and what's that for and like oh what's he doing? Was he causing Mina to get older faster? I don't think so. Because I kind of got the sense that, like, his experiment was bleeding whatever. Because they were saying, like, oh, it'll continue to... I don't know, like, the the writing this was so shoddy, it was hard to follow it at times. But see, like, um, then, but, like he couldn't target it. So, like, if that's the case, like, then all the Argolans would have also been aging at a rapid rate as well. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why. I just, I don't know. Like, I got that feeling for some reason. Or else it's like a massive clinky dink. Um, Do you know what? Uh, like, uh, like, you know, fucking bratty kids, they put grey hair into you any day of the week, so fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, the fact that he's like, oh, by dawn, Mina will be dead. And blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay. You could actually wait until, she, like, what's the rush? Mm. <laughs> like, literally, when she dies of natural causes, you will automatically become the leader here mm-hmm. why rush it why announce she's dead before she actually is <laughs> like what's with that and also like his plan is so weird because it's like once he was taking charge he wanted to create multiple versions of himself mm-hmm. okay um, to form an army to basically bring our goalist back to prominence and whatever and the only thing I can if I was asking is why so you've made an army of yourself the other Argolans are all still dying you're going to be leader of yourself think about it it'll just be like what like another version of the Santarans it's supposed to be multiple batches you just have the one batch yeah um but yeah, I I thought he was weird. Like, your man played it fucking with socks. Like, your man was oh, very good. Really good. Um, but like, it as a villain, I just found him fucking weird. <laughs> I will yeah. say like... And also, the recreation generator. First of, okay, first of all, right. First, first of all, right. The recreation generator was used to create Pango. Mm-hmm. In a sort of test tube baby esque, yeah, Judge Dread type fucking scenario. But it can also be used to make little weird, like labyrinth dancing thing. Like the fact that the chamber is used 
for like re recreation and also recreation i don't get the recreation component of a black box where like my understanding of what they were going for was your body appears to split apart mm -hmm. because the different parts of your body are moving at different times yeah which makes your limbs look like they're independent of it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. The box made no sense. The box this, made no sense. This, I think this was a problem, a flaw with the writing, was that David did, he tried so hard to make sure that everything seemed to make sense. You know, like you the science behind it. The practical usage of it didn't seem to make any sense. Yeah. yeah. Like the anti-grav... Squash, yeah. I... Squash that the doctor and Romana just wander through. Mm. I like, was yeah. that in the recreation generator? Or was that just in a different room? That was in a different room, but it seems to have, like it was recreated. Yeah. It was created by the recreation generator. Yeah. Uh, Pangol's weird. Mean is awesome. Mean and Harden need to get together. And one thing I will say is the scene where he starts duplicating. Uh, it mm -hmm. gave me Attack of the Clone vibes, you know, at the end where like you see the clone army getting ready to depart, but also that same bit where they're all marching out of the thing. For fuck's sake, lads, could you not have got extras that were the same height? Like, they're meant to be clones. You've got one person there that's clearly six foot, and then you've got another person that's five four, and another person that's fucking five eight. It's like, lads, come on to fuck. All I could think was. The pangos meant marching one by one. Hurrah! <laughs> Hurrah! <laughs> I, I, I felt sorry for the poor fucking uh, prop masters because you could, you clearly knew that they were holding the thing, like people were holding on to the box because the extras were clearly fucking running behind the camera to go. Get, you were seeing they were rushing into it and it's, banging into the fucking like, side of it. Was it in the chase? Yeah, it's the chase where, where they're all, all fucking the, all the Daleks and they're just going. <laughs> oh God. Oh. and that brings us to our final section of the podcast our overall thoughts and score out of five mm -hmm. so paddington yes. i will once more hand to you first what were your overall thoughts on the leisure hive and what score would you give it out of five that kind of rhymed. Yes. <laughs> it did, it did. Uh, so, first thing, we talked uh, in the trivia section about wanting to move away from the silly humor aspect of stuff. Mm. Mina emerges from the rejuvenation chamber with a baby mm -hmm. pangol. This time I must make sure to raise him correctly. Uh, mm. Hello? this fucker was about to start a new wave of, of like slaughter throughout the fucking galaxy. Uh, I, I, I noticed the whole uh, argument of nature versus nurture. No, put him in a fucking box and never open it again. Um, I, ha I have a question about that. Yeah. Because that wasn't an issue I had with it, though probably I should have. Does he remember... 
as in like does the baby pangol does baby pangol have the memories of grown up pangol oh that's a horror that's a horrible con oh oh i fucking were we talking about i was talking to someone about something like this which was in the in the whole thing of reincarnation Hmm. if you're if you can remember your previous life Hmm. can you imagine being inside the womb or coming out with all these memories while you're still a child that's a bit mental yeah like i had a conversation with someone about this it's like can you imagine the insanity that would fucking that would breed if you had these memories of another life when you're incapable of fucking lifting your own head up that type of thing yeah i mean i don't think that's quite the way it works with reincarnation no 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 it, no it, it doesn't it, like, yeah. no it doesn't <laughs> but no like but like here we have like, like we were saying oh but you know like a what yeah, if like, a what if but sorry, like, i have read a number of time travel fan fiction hmm. where certain character gets to go back in time but like their future consciousness joins with their younger consciousness and so like in a harry potter time travel fic you have 18 year old harry's memories in 11 year old harry which always comes across really weird like so as baby pangal grows up because like i don't think his brain could process the information now but as he grows up will he remember what grown-up pangal did no um my apologies it wasn't a discussion with you and it wasn't a discussion it's actually a fourth doctor novel called festival oh. of death that deals with the concept of time displacement so mm. a character seeks to avert their fate so the villain seeks to avert their fate by going back to the moment of like the crisis point mm. and stopping it from happening mm. uh what ends up happening though is that they do a slight being John Malkovich on it, where they go back into their previous body and witness themselves going ahead with the event, but they're not able to, like, essentially they're a passenger of their own brain and they're watching themselves make this mistake. And the cycle continues. So it's a passenger within a passenger within a passenger within a passenger within a passenger for all eternity, because that's what that's, that person's path has led them towards. This mm-hmm never any cycle of going back and being able to, and failing to avert your cycle and in seeing yourself go forward and come back and go forward and come back um uh, which is like that's fucking terrifying uh so with pangol i really hope he doesn't remember because again the insanity that that would breed is just mm. too horrible to comprehend um but to this particular story yeah, I thought that the, the, that humor line just if if I hadn't heard the whole thing about John Nathan Turner's, you know, we're going to try and make it less silly. If I hadn't heard that, I don't think the line would have bothered me as much as it does. Mm. It's not really bothered me, but not as much. Um, but look, the story itself, at its core, has some really interesting concepts. Like it really does. Pangol's whole existence, like this dark experimental, as I said, doc, you know, Doctor Mengele type fucking feel to it. Mm. The whole thing of uh, Mina and Harden's relationship, the Doctor being old, 
um the formasi side of things it, it, it's it's because we don't have an an actual other formasi presence presence throughout the entire story that it mm. to counteract like there's no official formasi presence there so that kind of the whole cloak and daggers thing it, it, it just doesn't feel great um mm. but like out of like as i said the two main the three main ones which is the doctor being aged and not being as you know he like his in his frailty playing into his ability to help the story pangol's dark origin and his uh desire for power and mina and harden one of them is executed really well which is mina and harden the doctor's one is done fairly well i think uh but it kind of comes too late i think just for me uh then pangol's thing is it's overshadowed a lot by all the other fucking shit that's happening throughout the story and for for a story that kind of is quick on runtime the first half is kind of boring mm. nothing really happens and like it's it does it doesn't really pick up until about halfway through episode two mm. And so, like, I liked discussing this story with you, mm. but I won't go back and watch this story. So I'm leaving it as a 1.75. Okay, not the best start to a season. Not as bad as last season. Mm-hmm. But not the best start from you. No. Um, okay. A um, couple of things. Don't like the intro. Mm-hmm. Longest establishing shot of a beach ever. Like, the episodes were short enough as it is. We literally spent about three minutes panning across an empty beach. Just panning. It took them a day to pan across a beach. Like, what the hell? Um, I don't like the, the weird transition from them on the beach to the leisure hive because mm. it's sort of like it zooms out into space it gives the impression that they're being watched but they yeah, aren't and that's what i thought was going to happen and i was like but who knows maybe that's meant to be the black guardian whatever um don't tell anubis that abydos became a leisure planet <laughs> <laughs> apparently Maybe Scara and his lot, after they ascended, came back and were like, hey, let's make Abydos fun. Um, <laughs> go like, you know, bombing down sand dunes and shit. Um, okay. The Leisure Hive. Mm-hmm. This is somewhere Romano wanted to go on vacation. Why? I didn't see any leisure bar two randos playing the longest game of squash known to men. And you find out that they're not even real. They're projections. Yeah. yeah it's like, what? Like, clearly, Mina felt very strongly about it and whatever. But, like, we didn't get to see any of it. Like, the way I would describe it is you missed it because you weren't in the office. But yesterday in work, a group of young kids, I think they're like eight or nine years old, came on site. They're part of that reading program mm-hmm. that you're here and them are doing. 
they came on stage, lost their minds, right? And later on, our friend Kira asked them, like, oh, how did you enjoy the visit? Because also, we work in an office. It's not the most entertaining building on the planet. <laughs> it's an office. The desks go up and down. That's about it. There's ping pong and pool or whatever. Um, but the kid, one of the kids went, it was better than our school tour. And Kira's like, hold on. A trip to an Amazon customer service building was better than your school tour. Where did you go on your school tour? Apparently they went to MTU, right? Monster Technical uh, University, formerly yeah. known as CIT. And the, the way the kid described it was, it was like a warm salad. That's how he described his school tour. Uh, so I was about to say, how many, tri- salad. how many trips to the box factory did this fucking class take to make the Amazon office look like a viable contender, you know? Uh, but like, oh, the Leisure Hive mm-hmm. as a travel destination... It's like a warm salad. Sounds like a great idea to have a salad, and then you find that like, oh, no, no, I don't get it. Uh, oh, sorry. Before you move on, when we were talking about our desks going up and down, I love it because the hydraulics for the desk make it look like it's got a loader with a fucking gun cartridge. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like the feeder system for like some fucking heavy bolter. And yet you still have yours like down on the floor, which makes sense. You're tall as hell, dude. Raise the desk. Um. Anyway. So there's that. Like the Leisure Hive isn't believable as a travel destination. Um, we don't actually see. Like, I mean, if you took the Leisure Hive and added in the projections from Nightmare of Eden, mm-hmm. perfect. Literally combine those two concepts. Great. The story itself is choppy as hell. Mm-hmm. The Fomasi, like, what the fuck was even the point of them? Like they just took from the story. You had a great story here around um, an old enemy. Don't show them on screen. Don't mention mention them in general. An old enemy trying for reparations, but to be honest, the the survivors don't really want anything to do with them. They don't blame them anymore, but they don't just they just, just rather not be involved. Mm-hmm. You have the Doctor aging forwards, you have Pangol, you have Mina's survival. The Fomasi didn't need to be included. They add no value to the story. And the storyline that contains them specifically is wrapped up really badly. Like, Mina and her predecessor are like, no, we'll never let the Fomasi buy this planet. They bombed this planet to shit. We're not going to give it to them. Again, they don't blame them in the sense that, like, they didn't demand reparations. They won't accept reparations. But they're also like, no, hold on. Like, we can't sell the planet to them as our, our dying act. Yeah. That would just be wrong. We, we have our pride. But at the same time, Mina is very pleasant to the ambassador, gets along really well with him. They were really, I'm like, so you don't have any animosity towards them whatsoever. You're going to die they can live on the hell that they created of your planet, but you'd rather they didn't. Okay. Weird. Um, the writing, for the most part, it was just bad. Um, like I said, I, I do wonder what David Fisher's original script was like mm-hmm. without all of the different hands in the kitchen, you know, 
chopping and changing bits or whatever but like the big long like science briefings around tachyons and whatever I was just like am I meant am I meant to remember this like it was either too explained or not explained well enough did you know um, and the effects were really weird. Like I said, the labyrinth dancing thingies, like, no, that, that was unnecessary. So for me, the only thing I really liked, I liked Tom's performance as older doctor. I don't think we saw enough of it. Mm-hmm. For me, it gets a 1.5. And that's mainly from Mina. I loved Mina. I thought she was great. I liked her with Harden. I liked Tom as old doctor, but everything around that I didn't like. And they blew up K9 at the start. Yeah. So fuck you. Uh, yeah, so also from you, not a great start to the season. Uh, one thing you might be interested to know is that David mm. Fisher wrote the novelization for the story. And apparently mm. it has a lot of the elements of the original script in it. Oh. So might be worthwhile picking up and seeing would his original vision be a lot have re- possibly rated it higher for us hmm. again I'd probably only pay money to get it to see what Mina was like yep but yeah so for the start of season 18 not great hmm. however there is still time <laughs> we have a couple of episodes left and I will say next episode I have been looking forward to for how long? Uh, 15 so, and a half seasons? Yeah. <laughs> Actually no, like, uh, fucking 15 seasons under that because they didn't leave until the end, more or less the arse end of season 2. Yeah. So for 15 seasons I have been waiting. I did not know this was a thing mm-hmm. until we discussed it 15 seasons ago. Next week's episode doesn't have the return of the character, as far as I know. No. But it has the return of a beloved, beloved actress. Paddy, who's coming back next week? Jacqueline Hill is coming back to us in Megloss. Yeah, I know nothing about the story. I just know that she's in it and she looks amazing with like some weird like turban thing on her head. I don't care. I don't mm. care. I don't care. I'm so looking forward to it. It better not be shit. It better not be shit. I'll be so mad. I'll be so mad. If it's bad. Like, I'll settle for a three. Three or higher. Like, just don't be shit. <laughs> Please. Uh, or would it be a case of Will you? Be, or it might be this case of like all the good, much like Mina, all the good points are leveled towards Jacqueline. No, because I want I want Jacqueline to have a good episode. Yeah, I want her to have a good story. Don't be shit. <laughs> uh. Until then, though. Yep. Bye. Bye.